Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, October 20th. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Jenny, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Jenny answers questions as sent in by you, the listeners. Next, it's our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We asked the Chief about the controversy surrounding Ward 4 Councillor Sean Chu, which came to light last week. The Chief explains the process of investigation into the matter, which was completed by the CPS over 20 years ago. With a total of nine new faces on City Council, we want to get to know the men and women who've been chosen to represent Calgarians. Today, we meet Ward 3 Councillor Jasmine Mian. It's that time again. Time for our annual flu shots. Pharmacist Amin Kanji joins us with details on what you need to know when it comes to getting the jab this year. And finally, could it be the answer to the record high vacancy rate in Calgary's downtown office corp? We speak with the chief strategy officer of a group called Elevate Farms, who explains the process and how the idea could be a win-win for the city. Sudiel and Andrew Schultz, and we are joined this morning once again by Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. This week, we're going to look at vaccines for kids and answer as many of your COVID-19 questions as possible. Send them in on the text line at 403-974-8255. And before we dig deep into it, I want to thank you for coming on early with us, Dr. Jenny. I know that <laughs> you've been very flexible and I know that you have a lot on your plate. So we appreciate you getting up with us early. Uh, always happy to chat with you. Very much appreciate it. <laughs> Have, it, have some extra coffee. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to send some to him. Yes. You know, we're going to get him a cookie bouquet. Good idea. Um, let's talk about those vaccines for kids. Now, we've mm-hmm. heard the news coming out of Pfizer that they've stepped up to the Canadian government and said, yeah, we're ready. And uh, the age group we're talking about is ages 5 to 11. How close is that to happening? I, I think it's pretty close. I mean, it's always impossible to predict what Health Canada will find or see in the results, but uh, Pfizer does have a complete data set, enough patients, more than enough patients in a phase three clinical trial for us to make that determination. The results we've seen from the company are very encouraging, but you know, again, that's obviously the, the results the company wants us to hear about. But for it to be approved in Canada, they will be uh, forced to provide all of their results, all of their data to Canadian experts, uh, scientists, uh, physicians. And from there, we will make our own decision. We won't be influenced by, for example, the US FDA or, or other agencies. So we're going to look at the full data set and then decide whether that's appropriate and safe for kids here in Canada. And, and I actually saw, we saw a study this morning, um, Dr. Janney, that half of Canadian parents have already decided they will vaccinate their kids kids mm-hmm. age 5 to 11 immediately. So there are a lot of people on board, and I think you're right. A lot of people just want to see a little more science behind it before they give it to their young ones. So that is the smart thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, my, myself, I'm waiting for those results. I, I'm not going to go by guidance of other countries. I trust our healthcare system. I trust our professionals. So, uh, you know, w- when we get a green light from, from our Health Canada, then I have uh, a great confidence that that will be safe and effective for kids and, and keep in mind they're about 10% of the population. It's going to be a big step to that herd immunity and you know we do still see kids admitted to the ICU here in Alberta that it, it is a real disease although lower risk for them but we still have to do our best to protect them. 
I want to talk about, you know, the impact of Thanksgiving that at this point doesn't seem to have been an impact. Nine or ten days, depending on when people would have gathered, uh, not last uh, Sunday or Monday, but the Sunday or Monday before yesterday, 531 new cases of COVID-19 when weeks ago we had 2,000 in one day. I'm wondering, uh, will we uh, or have we seen that impact at this point or are we days away from getting the real story? Well, we're probably still a couple days away to know that we're out of the woods, but right now, absolutely, the trend looks great. You know, we would have expected if there was going to be a surge, we would start to see that uptick about now, and and we haven't yet, so that's great news. Um, But, you know, we're always a little hesitant to say we've made it or or we're through the other side. Um, It does take, you know, 10, 14 days for those symptoms to show up. So if we're thinking of, of people that were gathering on the Monday, then, you know, we still have a couple of days to go to know we're, we're really through this. But, you know, the early results, the people that would have been traveling Friday, Saturday, that, that's, that's, you know, the testing today and, and tomorrow. So the curve is not turned. Great news. Uh, we need to keep it coming down, though. Uh, Dr. Jenny, uh, this text just came in, so I'd like to read it. She's just kind of hopping back to the kids and the, mm. and the vaccine. This person saying, please let my child develop their own immune system like they're supposed to. My kid has all her vaccinations. I sincerely do not trust this one. What do you say to that? Well, I understand the sentiment, but we do know that, that for example, kids do get quite sick from this, small percentage, but kids do get quite sick. It, it's in much the same vein as measles. You know, a lot of kids experienced measles and chickenpox. We, we used to have parties to intentionally infect children. At the same time, we, we did have about 1% of kids develop permanent uh, lasting effects from infects with me, infection with measles. So those can be avoided. But COVID's a bit weird. We do know in adults that the immunity from natural infection does not last as long. It fades earlier, which means you may think you're protected and you, you lose that protection. But more critically is that it does not cover the variants as well. So it's great protection if you're reinfected Infected with exactly the same strain, but if that strain continues to evolve, if we see more variants emerge, that natural immunity simply does not hold up as well as vaccinated uh, immunity. That answers Judy's question. We had a text from Judy saying, why is the science of being naturally immune to COVID being ignored? You mentioned the variants and the fact that it doesn't uh, hang, hang around as much. I got a question because uh, Sue and I, and uh, a little later in the program, we're going to talk about, you know, the process of getting your flu shot. Flu shots now readily available Let's talk about the the timing between a COVID shot and a flu shot. And uh, are we fine or should we see any uh, different effects from the flu shot this year if we had a COVID shot in the past handful of months? So the the answer we're getting from the real world data is that it's perfectly safe, perfectly effective to get them both at the same time. And that's not entirely surprising. I mean, we often administer vaccines at the same time. People who are traveling might get hep A and hep B at the same time if they've not been vaccinated. Uh, Childhood vaccines, we Mm -hmm. often administer more than one vaccine at the same time. Our body can absolutely multitask. I mean, it wouldn't be a very good immune system if while you were fighting a cold, you could die of a, of, of a GI infection. So our, our body can absolutely take two tasks, three tasks, and, and do them quite well. So if you you know, can arrange an, a, an appointment with a pharmacist to get both and you haven't been COVID vaccinated yet, it's a great opportunity to just get them out of the way and, and move on through the fall with, with 
significantly reduced risk of, of catching anything. Dr. Jenny, this is a discussion I have with, you know, friends and family often is that, you know, we're all vaccinated, but you come in contact with, you've got a friend who mm-hmm. perhaps just isn't into it, not getting the vaccination, and, and they want to spend time with you. So uh, is there concern in that sense? Do we even need to think twice about it, or should we just go about our everyday normal business because we're double vaxxed? Well, I think, once again, as with everything through the pandemic, and I, I know this sounds like a bit of a, a wishy-washy answer, but it depends on your personal risk. If you have people who are high risk with comorbidities or suppressed immune systems in your in your cohorts, in your circles, you absolutely have to be careful of that. And we are seeing breakthrough infections. I mean, they're a very small percentage, but they are people often with underlying health risks. You know, yesterday we saw revised guidance for long-term care facilities. And once again, that's reflecting the fact that although phenomenally safer with people vaccinated, breakthrough infections can still occur. And we need to, you know, make sure we're assessing that situation. So if there's high-risk people, uh, you know, kids at home that are not vaccinated, those all present possible infections if you're in contact with a non-vaccinated person. Dr. Jenny, uh, sometimes we get statements. I'll, I'll, put, I'll read you the statement, then I'll put it into a question for you. This uh, texter says, vaccine injury is more likely in the young. So the question is, is vaccine injury more likely in the young? So I've not seen any evidence to support that. I think what we often hear are, are uh, you know, the, the, the negative stories, and they tend to get amplified. We never hear about the uh, millions of doses that, that, that don't have problems. Uh, the side effects for the current COVID vaccine are no more severe in the young, so we know that for a fact. Um, and at the end of the day, the, the, the general side effect reporting rate or injury reporting rate is hundreds of times lower than the injury rate of actually getting infected and the long-term effects of, of potential long COVID or, or, you know, even the acute effects of hospitalization and ICU. I, I think that this is very much uh, an unintentional bias that we simply don't hear all of the good stories mm-hmm. and instead the, the rare events that, that do happen absolutely get amplified and, and it makes it seem as though these are very much more common than they really are. Dr. Jenny, Allen texted in to ask, my son is playing hockey, half the team is 12 and vaccinated, half are 11 and not. So is that safe? Are there any kind of things that they should be doing just to keep things as safe as possible? Yeah, so those are the very difficult situations. And we've seen a lot of of youth uh, sport organizations, hockey in particular, that have uh, tried to bring in some extra rules. So many of the hockey organizations are asking the younger kids uh, that that don't have options for vaccine or or teams with mixed ages for the kids to arrive at the arena mostly dressed. This allows them to keep wearing a mask, keep some physical distance in the locker room, uh, and really only removing the mask when they get out and, and play hockey. So when they're out on the ice, much lower risk, but it's those gatherings indoors in the locker room with teams in indoor spaces so avoiding those as much as possible moving outdoors and more critical is if anybody has symptoms they they really need to stay home they really need to skip that practice skip that game let the team know and the rest of the parents can then monitor and ensure these don't become outbreaks and, and spread from person to person yeah and i think most of the hockey organizations are being super vigilant with that for sure uh let's talk about this uh, just quickly before we let you go uh this this person asking the question, shouldn't the vaccine be classified as a therapeutic as opposed to a true vaccine? 
No, so a therapeutic is meant to treat somebody who who is sick, whereas these vaccines are designed to prevent illness. Um, ideally, in the optimum situation, and we see that with, with some of the variants, they actually prevent infection or, or prevent about 80% of infections. Uh, but when it comes to actual illness, so, so symptomatic disease hospitalization, they once again prevent even higher percentages of those. So these are not meant to treat somebody who is sick. This is meant to stop you from getting sick. So very much a, a vaccine and not a therapeutic. Good stuff. Again, thank you so much for getting up early with us this morning, Dr. Jenny. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Take care. You too. That's Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Police Chief Mark Newfeld joining us now. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. We've just been having the conversation as we were trying to track you down this morning about <laughs> Councillor Sean Chu. So maybe you can weigh in as to, you know, the situation as far as you know it and, and what the next steps might be. Yeah, well, what I can tell you is that I became aware of it on Friday, uh, along with many people. Uh, I hadn't been aware of it until it was reported in the media. And, of course, I was extremely concerned uh, right off the bat. I mean, any allegations of this type are very serious, and I wanted to see that, uh, you know, the service had done its due diligence and done what it needed to do uh, at the time. And so uh, we certainly went to uh, assemble a document and have a look. Uh, given the dated nature of this, it was uh, not quite as easy as we'd hoped to uh, track down, you know, now archived documents. But at the end of the day, I was pleased uh, when I saw the seriousness which, with, with which this had been taken by the service. Mm-hmm. There had been the types of investigations that I would have expected to see. Uh, the decision makers right up to the chief of the day were aware of it and making decisions around it. The, you know, the commission of the day would have been aware of it and the services handling of it. Uh, so I think that uh, you know, I'm pleased with what I see as far as that goes. And then... Uh, yeah, going back to what was your question again about next steps? Well, yeah, well, I mean, what happens with this information? Anything, or is this just sort of left now up to do, do, does the police do the does the police force look into this any further, or is this now sort of at city council level? What happens? Yeah, I would say that it's really at the city council and the provincial level. I think what we're talking about here is the sort of the qualifications uh, for people to run for office, and this was obviously a, a topic of discussion when we had you know certain mayoral candidates as well who were known mm-hmm. to have criminal convictions and outstanding criminal charges. And uh, right now, I think it's fairly clear that the um, the sort of standard for conduct to be able to run for uh, elected office um, is fairly wide open. Let's switch gears now, uh, Chief. And the latest numbers that I'm seeing, uh, 28 homicides and 87 shootings. It looks like our city is on track to double the number of homicides this year over last. Why are we seeing this increase in violence in our city? Well, it's a good question, uh, Andrew. I think the, uh, the the good news is that the number of shootings in the city has been down uh, to the end of September around 20% uh, compared to last year. Um, but violent crime, I think uh, generally we're seeing it up in uh, in major urban centers across North America. So it's hard to know. You know, I've, I've said with a number of the crime trends uh, since uh, 2020 and the uh, arrival of COVID, it sort of is a, a bit of a... Uh, anomaly. So you can't really compare what happened in 2020 to 2019 or this type of thing because people's routine activities have changed so much. So we're certainly, um, our folks are certainly actively engaged in this. This is a very, very high priority for the police service. Very concerned about uh, any amount of uh, violent crime. And certainly, uh, we're, you know, we continue to work on that. Chief, last week, multiple people stabbed and slashed in the downtown core. This is a discussion that's come up through the election as well. Could a downtown police station have prevented something like this? And your thoughts on on bringing a station back down into our downtown? 
Well, we're certainly not against having a, uh, a uh, more significant footprint in the downtown. And in fact, as you know, uh, over the years, there's been a number of police facilities that were located in the downtown mm-hmm. that have since been moved. So what we see is a reduction in, in sort of movements of police and the presence of police just routinely in the downtown. You'll know that recently we opened up the uh, Stephen Avenue Safety Hub there with our partners from Transit and Bylaw. Uh, and so there is a there is an, an enhanced presence in the downtown right now. But that's a critical issue um, for our city right now in terms of safety and, and sort of the revitalization and reinvestment uh, in the downtown that uh, City Council is leading. Uh, for starters, people have to feel safe down there. And so we know we have a big role to play in that. And so, again, we're starting to um, try and increase our footprint and increase our presence downtown because we know that, that in the beginning, certainly makes people feel safer. And then I also think that the the lagging indicator on that is it will see the numbers come down. Chief, a few weeks into the enhanced protocols and uh, VAX passports being checked, and obviously the mandatory masks have been in place for quite some time in indoor establishments. We know that this falls on bylaw, but ultimately, if they have to, they call the police service. Have you had many phone calls from businesses uh, having issues with patrons not wanting to, to follow these protocols? We haven't had a lot, uh, Andrew, to be honest. And again, I think a lot of it is um, is uh, being dealt with initially through, as you say, bylaw and uh, Alberta Health Services investigators. We did have... Uh, um occasion to assist with respect to uh, one particular business, I think that kept on operating. Uh, I think liquor license had been suspended, Mm -hmm. food service licenses had been suspended, and they kept on operating. So in those types of situations, there will certainly become involved uh, with the the advanced sort of closure uh, steps taken in those cases. But that's really the only one that I know of that we've had to become involved in. Chief, appreciate your time always. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Calgary electing a fresh batch of city councillors on Monday and joining us now, former Canadian Olympic wrestler and newly elected Ward 3 City Councillor Jasmine Meehan. Good morning, Councillor Meehan. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. And from a Ward 3 resident, I say welcome to you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Now, often referred to by the folks in Ward 3 as the forgotten ward, what made you decide to jump into this race and run as a city councillor? That's a great question. And, you know, it's, it's incredibly critical time for, for Calgary. I think over the last five years, we've been dealt this one-two punch of the economic downturn and the pandemic. And then living where, where we do, Sue, there's, there's quite a large service and infrastructure deficit. If you look at things like sea train and recreation opportunities, or either, even smaller things like dog parks, we have considerably less than other wards. And, you know, it just came from a strong interest in wanting to do what's the best for my community. Now, obviously, Jasmine, when you're running, you want to run on your ideas, your platforms, get to know the people, tell them your thoughts on where Calgary and where your ward should be going and moving ahead into the future. You might not have, uh, you know, been advertising your your background before this uh, too much. So tell people about your background, what you were doing before your uh, newly minted councillor. Oh, great question. Well, you know, I, I moved to Calgary over 10 years ago now and originally came to make an Olympic dream come true and represent Canada at the 2016 Olympics. And uh, that was a, an honor of a lifetime. And I, I quickly learned that Calgary is a lot more than a sports city and uh, have a background. I've done work in transportation safety as well. I have a master's degree in, in public policy with a municipal policy focus and worked at university administration for quite a long time. And uh decided to run um, in January, so left my, my work to do that. Jasmine, you and your team are going to for sure have to hit the ground running. How do you get prepared to step into this new role and, and figure out you know what, what you're going to do moving forward here? 
<laughs> well, let me tell you, Sue, there's nothing scarier than walking out and having to physically wrestle somebody in, you know, on the world stage. <laughs> so as much as this is a very intimidating environment to walk into a totally new city council, I do feel like my background and, and mindset that I've developed from sport just makes this challenge very exciting to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to do the work. There's going to be lots of reading. There's going to be lots of strategizing with our team about how we're going to best approach this. But that's where I shine, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting because, as Sue said, you folks have to hit the ground running. And one of the hot topic issues that a lot of us are, are discussing at, you know, at coffee shops and, and with neighbors, perhaps, and we see a lot of the traffic online, is about Ward 4 Councillor Sean Chu. Now, uh, not just a, a name, it's one of your co-workers. So tell us your thoughts. Do you think you can work with Sean Chu if he uh, remains a Ward 4 Councillor? Well, I haven't had a chance to speak with Mr. Chu, but I hope he's reflecting on whether he's going to be a politician or an elected official in this moment. And I think there's a very important difference between those two titles. A a politician will try and self-preserve and ride it out and I think feel very justified in doing so. But as an elected official, you you need to ask yourself if your personal conduct is becoming a bigger concern than the concerns of those who elected you to serve. And I can tell you as a newly elected council, I haven't heard anything about the concerns of Ward 4 residents except for their concerns about Mr. Chu. And ultimately, I I would also ask him to reflect on if he stays is he helping or hurting his, his colleagues' ability to, to do their job? And as a new council, we want and need to establish trust with Calgarians, and that's clearly going to be a challenge now. Great answer for sure. Uh, Jasmine, you know, I, I know for a fact that the best people won as we look at, you know, Ward 3, for example, your ward and as the mayor. So what does it seem to you, though, is it a, a representation at City Council? We've seen, we're seeing lots of new faces and particularly the rise of women. So is that important to you or do you think that's just sort of part of everyday life now? What I like about this newly elected council is that we have different, all different kinds of backgrounds and strengths. And that's so important. If you, if you really think about this as a workplace, as a team of 15 people who's going to try and help us navigate some of the big challenges, we want people that have these different perspectives, different life experiences, different, you know, like if we all come in with the biggest idea and aren't willing to work together, we don't want 15 of the same type of people. And I don't think that we have that on this council. And I think that's actually an asset. Of course, we want to get to know you a little bit better, Jasmine. Tell us, uh, what are your interests outside uh, work, which is now obviously being a counselor in Ward 3? Uh, what do you like to do with your free time? Oh, wow, that's a great question. You know, I haven't really had much free time on the campaign trail, um, but I am looking forward to getting back into the routine of, of walking our, our 11-month-old uh, boxer puppy. We, uh, we jumped, jumped in and got a pandemic puppy, so if anyone is uh, in that situation, <laughs> I, I definitely need the dog training tips. We've got a, a website for you. I mean, will that website stay up? Will you be posting things online for constituents in Ward 3 and for the rest of uh, you know Calgarians to, to learn about you and, and City Council as you move forward? Well, I will certainly be having a website. Uh, once we're sworn in, we will get all of that set up. For now, I think the best way to stay, stay with me is on, on Facebook and, and social media. And uh, then we'll get to a good website set up so people can follow my journey along in, at City Hall. Good stuff. Uh, Break a leg. All the best to you, Jasmine. We appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, thank you so much. That is Jasmine Nian, the newly minted Ward 3 City Councillor.
And this year's Alberta Influenza Immunization Program is now underway. And with all the details on how you can help protect yourself and your community, we're joined this morning by our friend, pharmacist and owner of the medicine shop here in Killarney, Amin Kanji. Hello, Amin. How are you? Good morning, good morning. How are you? It's kind of funny because you're actually uh, in another room here at the radio station in order to give us our flu shots today. You've been doing it for years for us, and we know that all Albertans aged six months and older are now eligible. So what else do we need to know with flu shot season here? So I think what uh, what's really important to keep in mind is that even uh, even though we're all masked, even though we're all you know socially distant, um, you know, the flu is still around, right? This is flu season. So it's really, really important to make sure that we all get vaccinated. We all do our part, even though we're getting vaccinated against uh, COVID-19. Uh, we still need to make sure that we're getting vaccinated against the flu virus because we want to keep hospitalization rates down, right? Uh, especially in the most vulnerable population, we want to make sure that, um, you know, we do our part to keep ourselves healthy so that we don't have to go into the hospitals. Our elderly population don't get into hospitals. So we don't add more stress on the hospital system as it is. Um, so again, I think that's that's one takeaway from this year is to make sure that we're, you know, again, doing our part to make sure we get vaccinated. I mean, we've heard a lot about the spacing between COVID-19 vaccinations. What about the flu shot uh, and close proximity to having a COVID vaccination? So there is no, uh, initially when we started doing the COVID-19 vaccination program, uh, you know, the um, advisory committee had advised uh, spacing any other vaccinations four weeks after you get your COVID-19 vaccine. They have changed their um, their guidelines now, and you can actually get your COVID-19 vaccination as well as your flu vaccination uh, the same day, uh, opposite arms, obviously. But uh, if you're due for your booster shot uh, and you'd like to get a flu shot, you can get it at the same day. Um, if you'd rather not take the chance and you'd rather just, you know, take one shot at a time, you can certainly do that as well. Um, as long as you're feeling well enough, even if it's a few days later, a week later, uh, you can certainly come and get your uh, flu vaccine uh, you know, a week later down the road if you want. I mean, I know it's free, all Albertans eligible, no cost at all. How do I book my appointment? So this year, uh, what's different is Alberta Health Services has implemented a centralized booking system. Uh, it's called Alberta Vaccine Booking Site. Um, but you don't have to go through that site uh, if you'd like to. Uh, you can certainly go and book through that central site. You can pick a pharmacy within a certain kilometer uh, radius of uh, your uh, residence uh, uh, based on your postal code. Uh, but you don't have to. You can still walk into any pharmacy uh, just to show your Alberta health care card. And you're, if you're eligible based on the criteria that pharmacists are allowed to uh, vaccinate five years and older, uh, then you're certainly uh, able to get your flu vaccine uh, right at the pharmacy. Okay, I'm in your chance to tackle one of the most common myths, at least what I've heard time and time again from people who say, I don't want to get the flu shot because it gives me the flu. Can I get the flu from the flu shot? So you can't get the flu from the flu shot. Uh, it is an inactivated virus, but what you can get is perhaps flu-like symptoms, especially if your immune system is not up to par. You know, For example, if you're fighting something already, you're not aware of it, and then you get the flu shot, you might get sort of a, um, a, a slight reaction of having flu-like symptoms, um, but it's not something that uh, causes the flu. Um, so again, make sure you're healthy, make sure you don't have a fever, make sure you're feeling well before you get in the flu shot, and uh, uh, you know your chances of, of reacting or having any sort of side effects will be minimal uh, at that point.
Roll up your sleeves. It's time for your flu shot. All Albertans age six months and older eligible for a shot for free. You can reach Amin and book your appointment with him. Medicineshop.ca. Thanks, Amin, for joining us and thanks for giving us a flu shot today. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, that's Amin Kanji, owner and pharmacist at the Medicine Shop on 37th Street Southwest. With 30% vacancy rates in downtown Calgary office space, we need to reimagine ways of using empty buildings in our core. And one company believes these empty buildings are perfect for vertical farming. Joining us to explain how we could potentially turn an office building into farmland is Travis Canellis, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Elevate Farms. Hi, Travis. Hey, how are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. I find this fascinating and a brilliant idea. First, for folks who may not understand it, what is vertical farming all about? Yeah, so vertical farming concept is is really about growing products or, or field-grown products indoors in an efficient environment. And we've kind of, the, the world's been working at this for many decades, but really over the last decade, and really over the last five years, it's really come to light and there's been a lot of efficiencies created and, and know-how created and that that's allowed us to really develop an industry well let's talk about what this would look like would, would we have a, on a 25 uh, you know uh, story building each floor growing a different crop would we see the traditional floors and would it just take you know putting in irrigation and uh, retrofitting these buildings yeah it is actually really about retrofitting on our side i mean it's it's uh, you could go anywhere from growing a single plant species on each floor you could grow multiple plants on each floor um you know it's it's really about what the constraints are from the building side and then us coming in retrofitting and building out a, a really unique platform where, I, I guess, Eddie, to your point, um, you add in irrigation very crudely, you add in some steel and structure and away you go. I, you know, I see it, you walk into an office building and sometimes there'll be, you know, the, that foyer will be floors high and open wide. And you, I can imagine, you know, the, the vertical farming that could take place in these buildings. So is it practical, though, and how much might it cost to convert an office tower? Yeah, there's really two types. The, the vertical, um, there's, there's an actual vertical wall, like a growing on a wall. And then there's another system where you grow horizontally. Um, and vertically stacked, and that's what we do. So we grow on effectively okay. trays that are vertically stacked. And, you know, when you look at costs, that's a really good question because, you know, our standard facility is about 10 million bucks, and it grows approximately a million pounds of leafy greens a year. So it's pretty, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty robust system. But we do that inside 5,000 square feet. So really condensed when you think about it, 5,000 square feet yeah. for a million pounds. And, um, you know, that's equivalent, depending on what crop you're growing, you know, that's equivalent anywhere from, you know, 15 to 50 acres outside. So wow. the, the scales are really, really unique and, and frankly, really interesting. Honestly, I, I think in growing inside office buildings, especially, you know, somewhere like Calgary and, and places around the country that are seeing, you know, really, really high rates of, of kind of, you know, occupancy that, that need to be filled. Um, we can kind of step in and, and figure out solutions for that. Uh, Travis, is this happening anywhere in Calgary or, uh, you know, give us an example of if it's happening in other parts of our nation? No, it's not. Um, it, it's not to my knowledge right now. Um, I, I think there's some experimentation going on. Uh, so we have a fa small facility uh, in Toronto that we experiment with and uh, we utilize that facility for, for a number of different processes. And it's, it's, it's relatively small and could be placed in an office building type structure. Um, but for us, 
you know, we're working on some some items right now in car parks or, um, sorry, car parks is a European term, um, parking garages uh, around the world. And um, for us, it's a really interesting concept to work in a parking garage. I mean, not too dissimilar from an office space, to be honest. Well, I hope you're talking to the city about it for sure. Would it pay the bills, Travis? Would it work financially? It, it does. Yeah, it does. And I think absolutely it does. I think there's a there's always a there's always an offset for high rent office space in something like this, right? There's always it's always going to come down to numbers, and it's always going to come down to, to someone pulling that trigger. Um, but because of the huge you know ESG or the environmental sustainability component, I think it it lends itself to a really interesting and fruitful conversation. And, and I think at this point, you know, in 2021, where we sit now with you know, having borders closed for a little while and probably understanding more so than ever that our local food supply is, is pretty important, um, you know, these conversations need to be had. Very interesting concept. We've got this space. Uh, I think we should get growing. That's just my opinion. I'm not <laughs> city council. Thanks so much for your time and uh, for the conversation, Travis. Awesome. Thank you. That is Travis Canellis, Chief Strategy Officer at Elevate Farms. You can find out more about what he does at elevate.farm. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.